Thank you for downloading this episode of a History of Central Florida podcast. This is the podcast where we explore Central Florida's history through the artifacts found in local area museums and historical societies. This series is brought to you by Riches, the regional initiative to collect the histories, experiences, and stories of Central Florida, and the Orange County Regional History Center. I am Katie Kelly, and I will be your host for today's episode titled, Russian Samovar. Are they uprooted or transplanted? You might think these are terms we associate with gardening, but actually historians have used these two ideas to explain the immigrant experience in the 19th century. Beginning after World War II, historians characterized the lives of immigrants as one of uprootedness, meaning that these ethnic Americans came from faraway lands and had to acclimate to the rough and tumble environment of the 19th century city, confronted with customs, languages, and a culture completely foreign to them. Since the 1970s, immigration and ethnic historians have revised this theory to suggest instead the immigrant experience is a transplanted one, one where ethnic Americans move to places in the United States where people from their home villages already settled, one where immigrants brought with them their languages, customs, and other folkways, and reconstructed them in America's large cities and small towns. The object featured in this episode, the samovar, represents that transplanted story. The samovar was an appliance used to brew hot tea throughout Eastern Europe. To the Russian immigrants who brought this object to Geneva, Florida, it symbolized home. We spoke with Dr. Gary Mormito, emeritus professor at the University of South Florida, about immigration to Florida during the late 19th century. Here is what he told us. In the big story of the new immigration to America from 1880 to 1915, Florida is a, a small tadpole in the, in, in the big pond, as they say. First of all, Florida, you have to appreciate Florida is part of the Deep South. Why would immigrants want to come to the Deep South? Uh, first, there's not much industry here. Second, they're competing against African Americans at the, the very bottom of the social economic ladder. Uh, and thirdly, they're not terribly welcome at all uh, because of religion and, and politics and these things. But uh, if, you, if you look at Florida compared to the rest of the South, Except for Louisiana, Florida is an, an exception. It doesn't rival any northern state in terms of sheer numbers. But compared to the South, more immigrants came to Florida than most southern states. Most immigrants in the late 19th century destined for Florida came to Tampa or Key West. But Dr. Mark Long of the University of Central Florida tells us about immigrants coming to Central Florida during this time. My work looks at the Sanford area in particular, and it was a, an exceptionally international town for its size and location. Uh, there were immigrants. There were immigrants from Sweden, certainly, which is probably the most famous immigrants into um, into Sanford because Henry Sanford brought them uh, over as indentured servants to begin with. But there were immigrants from England. There were immigrants from from the British Isles in general, uh, and from almost. Uh, every significant country on the European mainland as well. There were Italian immigrants, there were Spanish immigrants, there were Russian, uh, French, German immigrants. There's hardly a country in Europe I can think of at the moment that wasn't represented in the in the census data uh, since Sanford in the 1880s in particular, 1890s. 
it, so there's massive immigration into the into the East Coast. The American South was experiencing a net loss of of foreign immigrants, and and so Peninsula Florida stands out as a, a sort of profound counterexample to what's happening to the rest of the South. Central Florida looks much more like the Northeast portion of the United States, right, with all this in migration of European immigrants. Uh, than it does like the, like again, like the rest of the South, which is experiencing a net loss. The catalyst for migration of European immigrants to what was then Orange County and today Seminole County was the entrepreneur and local economic booster, Henry Sanford. Here, Dr. Long tells us the impact Sanford's travels had on the settlement of the region. It's not, it's not what one thinks of when one thinks of a small town as it was. It was a boom town, but it was still a small town in Florida. Um, but it's it's in part because of um, the way in which it's marketed. Florida markets itself, and Henry Sanford in particular, because he was living in Europe himself. Uh, he had a lot of connections through Europe. He was a diplomat uh, um, in uh, at King Leopold's throne, uh, and so he had a lot of connections throughout uh, Europe with with wealthy people. He had business connections as well as his connections as a as a diplomat, uh, and so he was able to attract you know an, an impressive number of of European immigrants uh, to the area. So when, when I looked at the census data, I was really amazed at how, how diverse the population was. The samovar on display at the Museum of Geneva History was owned by Michael Paul Rebender and his wife, Anna. They both settled in Geneva in 1877 with only one trunk of personal belongings. This samovar was one of the items taking up precious little space available. Michael and Anna's son, Leo, later recalled that the samovar was one of the most prized items brought over from Russia, second only to the icons important to the practice of their Russian Orthodox faith. The samovar, which is the centerpiece of Russian tea culture, would have been a staple of most households. Dr. Vladimir Solinari, from the University of Central Florida, tells us the origins of the samovar in Russia. The samovar is a Russian teapot. It probably was invented outside of Russia in the Middle East, somewhere in Central Asia, maybe in the Caucasus. But it uh, became very popular in Russia about from the 18th century. In fact, in the 19th century, it became uh, like an indispensable utensil in uh, many Russian households and uh, even uh, a symbol of material well-being of a particular family. Russia being a cold country, having a, a hot um, tea, a cup of hot tea, uh, especially in, in the cold period, entering uh, hot uh, present Izba, and the samovar was uh, standing there on the um, dining table that was a, a sign of um, a comfort, of coziness. The word samovar means self-boiler in Persian. Its design is relatively simple and was made out of a variety of materials, from inexpensive tin to elaborate gold. Dr. Solinari tells us how the samovar worked. If you look at this particular uh, product, at the top of it, uh, you um, uh, have an attachment to which they would usually put a smaller uh, teapot. You'll actually see the handle of it on this picture to the left, right? 
and that's uh, where they would um, make what they you, you call davarka. Actually, they, they didn't have uh, tea leaves in small um, uh, paper bags like we use them today, but um, they would um, use like the essence, right? from the tea, tea uh, leaves with uh, a little bit of hot water in those small teapots and put them on top so they would be a little uh, warm. They uh, Usually in the cup they will put first zavarka and then the hot water from uh, this tap right on the samovar and, um, and then they would drink a tea. Now um, Inside it, it has a chimney, and around it, an empty uh, space in which there was water. So that uh, in the chimney, they would just add from the top charcoal or um, uh, dried pine cones. That's how uh, the temperature would be raised. Taking tea was an important daily ritual in Russia and Eastern Europe. The samovar made it easy and affordable for middle-class families without servants to prepare tea. Here, Dr. Solinari explains to us the social and cultural meaning of the samovar in 19th century Russia. There was a class dynamic to it. Uh, it was the product which was usual in the uh, families of what my, one might call middle class. So like merchant families would have it, richer peasant families would have it, uh, farmers would have it, craftsmen would have it, but say aristocrats would not have it. And there is uh, a very nice and well-known picture by the Russian painter Kustodiev called Merchant's Wife. It comes from the early 20th century. It depicts this uh, rather overweight uh, lady which is uh, enjoying the life, uh, sitting at the dining table overflowing with foods and she has to the right of her uh, samovar and uh, the, at the background there is a Russian church so it's a kind of a, a typical both the landscape and the way of living which is typical of the provincial Russian city it's not really the um, more sophisticated refined uh, westernized family from uh, the capital and samovar is seen there exactly as it was seen in, at, at the time uh, was the meaning that uh, it denotes comfort, coziness, but not a particularly uh, high level of uh, uh, culture, of upbringing, of manners. Leo writes that his mother received many visits at the Revender home that included not only native-born Americans, but also European immigrants who, like the Revenders, settled in Geneva. Guests would serve themselves from the samovar and sit for long visits drinking tea, per the Russian custom. The samovar represents a cultural exchange, reciprocal hospitality between neighbors, and a reminder to both hosts and guests of the homeland the Revenders left behind. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of A History of Central Florida podcast. If you would like to see this and other items that tell the history of Central Florida, you can visit the Museum of Geneva History at 165 First Street, Geneva, Florida, 32732. Please join us for our next episode titled Railroad Bells.